on part of Romans 8 today. So I'm reading from Romans 8, verses 26 to 28. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Thanks, Jen. So I mentioned earlier how um, I unintentionally chose the same section of Bible as Ray had already prepared and the challenge that that caused him in, uh, in replanning and the, the panic. Um, well, today I'm going to talk today about Romans 8.28, and I've checked it doesn't clash with what Ray's doing <laughs> next week. Um, so I'd like everyone to think about challenges you faced, uh, trials that have tested your faith, and the moments when you felt overwhelmed by life's circumstances. It may be a big event, or it may be many small, seemingly inconsequential things. Um, during those struggles, have you ever wondered if there's any purpose or meaning behind them? Um, are these random events, or is there something greater at work? Um, I personally find many small things can, can wear me down sometimes as much as, as a big thing. Um, getting up this morning and seeing the snow outside was... Uh, a minor thing, but still an aggravation, especially when I was cleaning the drive and realizing how unfit I am. Um, and that can drive, you know, I can sometimes get you by stealth where lots of small things pile up and you think any one of them shouldn't bother you, but lots of small things do, uh, do get to you in the end. Um, and they can grind you down. Sean, can I have the presentation, please? Sorry. Or do I just press it, do I? Oh, yeah, there we go, there we go. So I, I had one of these small things yesterday. So um, very exciting. That's my cooker, our cooker. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> She's got a head in her hands already. And uh, the grill stopped working. So I thought, you know, being too tight to buy a new one, I'll, I'll replace it. And, uh, you know, I went to YouTube, as you do, and it's dead easy. All you do is pop out the cooker undo a couple of bolts, put the new one in, simple, yeah? How hard can that be? Three hours of hard is how hard it can be, it turns out. So in the end, um, the, the deeper I got into it, it wouldn't come out because the people who'd installed it hadn't left enough cable, so I had to pull all the cable back through. Then the sides had to come off. Then I realised the top was going to have to come off. Then I realised that one of the screws inside that held it in had, had seized, so I had to get all the top off and all the insulation off and get, uh, yeah, it was, it was horrible. So in the end, just to give you an idea, but, um, just the state the cooker actually got to. That was, that was where I was at after about two hours. Just before I cut a big lump out of the top of the insulation <laughs> to get to this, this seized on bolt. It's not a major thing. But at the beginning, it was no problem. I can do this by the middle. There was a bit of cursing going on, I don't mind admitting. 
by the end, I, I did say a bit of a prayer and sort of say, look, what's, you know, we'll just, we'll just have to, you know, use the wok for the turkey at Christmas. You know, what could possibly go wrong? It's not a, it's not a major thing. But it was, it was a big aggravation to me at the time. Um, clearly, that's not an important thing compared to a lot of things that people are, are going through. But, you know, big things or small things, they're still aggravations to us, aren't they? And in, in the moments when, we're, when we have those aggravations and we're questioning and doubts, Romans 8.28, as we go into a minute, does shine like a, a beacon of hope. So it was very good timing, that. So the, the start of Romans 8, I'm going to just sort of lead into 28. The start of Romans 8 actually fits in very nicely with what uh, was preached last week by Ray. We talked about the man who didn't want to give up his riches to follow Jesus in discipleship. He wasn't willing to give up what he saw as so important in his life. Um, and it talks here about the importance of a spiritual life over one based on earthly goods and riches. So we see here, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. A challenging message at any time of year um, but at the moment, probably more more so than, than most times. So who knows what the 24th of November was notable for this year? Anybody know? Any guesses? If I tell you that it was a Friday, does that help? Black Friday. Yeah, it was Black Friday. Apparently, I did wonder why it's called Black Friday. I don't know if anybody knows, but so I, I looked it up. And apparently, it's traditionally the day when the shop accounts moved from red to black. So after that, they were making profit effectively. It covered all their overheads and everything. So that was traditionally about how it started, apparently, a long, long time ago. It's not, a, it's not an Amazon invention, apparently. Um, did anyone else get sucked into the deals on offer? I know it's very easy, isn't it? You know, the m- amount of money you can save is incredible. You know. um, so interestingly, in, in, in my Bible, anyway, um, Romans 8, 18 to 30, so this sort of, section that we're moving into is titled present suffering and future glory um i don't think that in any way that's referring to agonizing over whether you really need a a garden gnome with fairy lights um or if you have to wear the hand-knitted jumper that your great auntie got you for christmas um but it did come as a bit of a sign that perhaps this was the right area to be talking about at this time of year um so Paul, having warned the early Christians to focus on God rather than on uh, his worldly goods, turns his attention to the fact that we can expect to experience some form of suffering. The gospel life is a costly life, he says. Uh, it may mean that we're wronged or mistreated um, because of your unwillingness to go along with the crowd. It might mean that you're hated and ridiculed because of your faith. Um, you might even be shunned or sidetracked in a friendship or in a, in a work situation. So far, so depressing, eh? But don't focus on, he says, you know, basically saying don't focus on the presents and gifts. Um, and by the way, you like to have problems in your life. You know, so it's, it's kind of a, it's a heck of a build up. Happy Christmas, yeah? Um, but now we wait. Now we finally get onto Romans 8, 28, and here comes the good news. So Romans 8.28 we read, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
It's a very short sentence, but contains so much. So I'm going to split it into into three pieces, really. God being in control, God working for the good, and the fact that we're called to his purpose. So if we look at God being in control, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. We know that life's filled with challenges and uncertainties. Um, We encounter unexpected setbacks, disappointments and trials, that can shake our faith and leave us questioning God's plans. In such moments, it's it's crucial to remember that we're not alone in our struggles. We serve a God who's aware of every circumstance we face, and he remains in control even when our circumstances seem overwhelming. There's numerous examples in Scripture um, where God turned difficult situations around. Um, Remember the story of Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers, by his own family, which is incredible when you think about it, sold into slavery and endured years of imprisonment. Uh, in the end, God used Joseph's trials to position him as a, as a key leader who saved his family and the nation of Egypt from famine. Um, another example is the life of, life of Job. He suffered great loss and adversity, um, but ultimately witnessed the restoration of all that he'd lost. So you've got to be careful in a way because... These are obviously huge events. And this doesn't necessarily mean that all our problems will be solved, because clearly all, all problems can't be solved in that worldly manner. We know that isn't the case. We know that isn't true. But it does tell us that whatever we go through, God will be there with us to see us through it and to make good out of it. So I wanted to mention, a, I suppose, a, a personal story here, really. Um, most of you know... Um, our youngest daughter, Natalie, and I guess a lot of you now probably know her, her new husband, Greg, as well. Well, sadly, Greg's um, granddad died not that long ago. Um, and he was very poorly towards the end. And he, he was a real devout Christian, a wonderful, wonderful man. And um, he, he said to his daughter, Natalie, he said, why am I still here? You know, he, he, he wanted to go home. Why am I still here? And, and all she could answer was, well, God must have something less, left for you to do. Um, and not long after that, you know, he was, he was at home, and he, like I say, he was ill. Um, he, he wasn't well at all. Um, and, they, and they got a nurse in to help. And um, she, she was telling narrowly how very often they're not treated very well, the, the nurses, by the family. Maybe they're told, you know, you mustn't touch... You know, you must eat off that plate almost. She'd had some terrible, terrible things happening. But when she was introduced to, to Michael, who, who was really ill, he smiled and blew her a kiss, just like that. And apparently she was just absolutely, you know, blown away by this, the kindness, you know, in, in his, you know, un, unhappiness and ill health, that, you know, she, she was absolutely, even at that stage, he, he witnessed so powerfully to, to, that, uh, to that nurse, that lady. Um, so, you know, an awful situation for him, but, you know, what a faithful, powerful, powerful witness. What a, what a wonderful man. So, then we move on to God is good. So, next we reflect on the fact that God works in all things for good. The phrase all things... Um, in itself reveals the, the breadth and depth of God's promises, not only interested in, 
just our Christian activities, um, making sure that sermons are good. I definitely know he doesn't always worry about that one. Or that the church heating keeps us warm. Yeah, um, maybe he does worry about that, but uh, we have, we have, luckily have some wonderful people here who look after that. Um, but he's interested in everything in our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, nothing's outside the scopes of God's ability to work for the ultimate good. And that might be something for our own good, or it might be something for somebody else's good, as we just explained that story about the, the nurse. Now, we must remember again that God's definition of good may differ from our own, because you know we often associate good with comfort and success. Um, but God's perspective expend, extends way beyond that, to include our spiritual growth, our character development, uh, how we can witness others, to name just a few. And uh, sometimes we realise difficulties or setbacks are opportunities for God to mould us uh, and shape us and make Him more like Jesus and refine our faith for His greater glory. And sometimes it can be a long time after something happens that we realise that you can look back on things, tough times, years in the future, and realise that it's made a difference to your life or to other people's life, other people's lives, and very often the case. And then the fact we call to his purpose. So finally we find a condition attached to this wonderful gift. Those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. So Paul talks here of, of love, and a, but a love that goes beyond respect and sentiment, um, or beyond liking someone, and instead talks of a love that's all-giving, characterized by obedience, trust, and surrender, a real true love. The love God means to align our life desires with his. It means we've got to trust his wisdom and step out in faith, We've got to do things which may be uncomfortable to us, trusting entirely that he'll be there to guide us and catch us if we fail. And at times we inevitably will fail. So when we surrender to God, we position ourselves to experience the fullness of his promises, including the insurance that all things will work together for the greater good. So I just want to reiterate the assurance and hope that Romans 8.28 brings to our lives. This is a powerful promise that reminds us that God's in control. In other words, he's here for us, for all of us, all the time. You know, we're not going to use up the amount of, the amount of God. You know, it doesn't matter how many of us there are, how much we need him. The more we need him, the more he has to give, the more he wants to give. The world we live in is different to what God intended. You know, we read in the Bible about the Garden of Eden. Uh, it created a perfect world with us, without evil, without hardship, perfectly suited to, to humans. But unfortunately, the devil deceived us, as so often happens. Um, we disobeyed God and now live in, in an imperfect world. People make mistakes and sometimes hurt us and the, and the people we love. We make mistakes. Uh, but there's good news, and the good news is... When our world changed, God didn't. God didn't change. God is still perfect. He still perfectly loves us. Um, and regards the mistakes we make, God will not stop loving us. We know God loves us because he redeemed our mistakes on the cross. He sent his only son to die for us. He sent Jesus. And when Jesus returned to heaven, he, sent his, he in turn sent his Holy Spirit to be with us so that you know, we could have that relationship, that personal relationship 
So his love for us is not dependent upon our love for him. He loves us even if we turn our back on him. He desperately wants us to turn back to him, but he still loves us. It's not reliant on what we do. In fact, we can't do enough to justify that love. What we say, it's not, it's not reliant on what we say or, or how we act. I say we can't do enough. That doesn't mean we should purposely go against God's words. It doesn't matter. You know, we should strive to follow his word. Um, but what it does mean is that whenever we make mistakes, God's there to help us and to be turned, for us to turn back to. No matter where we're at in life, God's love will meet us where we are. He can work all things for good, and those who love him are the recipients of his divine plan. In a world filled with uncertainties and trials, Romans 8.28 offers us a firm foundation on which we can stand. Now, I don't know if this is something we've ever done in this church, but I, I quite like this. When we were in the Methodist church, they had a short, a short call and response. Um, they used to say, and I said, I'd like to give it a go. We'll split it down the middle. And what you used to say is, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. So I'm going to try and see what happens. This could be as bad as our attempt on the Bible study on Wednesday night for the Bible study to, to say the grace in time, which is always an interesting kind of, kind of Christian rap, I think. So we're going to try start with, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. Okay, so three, two, one. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Hallelujah. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so we'll now have our third hymn, Lord, I Need You. And over to Jay.